Devin out of town. This is episode 43. Uh, I want to say happy Father's Day to all of those of you who celebrated yesterday and uh, happy Juneteenth today. Uh, with that, I've got uh, Scott with me this week. Episode no D's. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why that struck me that funny. Um, <laughs> no D's is good D's. Uh, and Rob's here too. Yes, sir. Welcome. What's going on, fellas? It's, it's good to be back. I mean, I kind of made an appearance last week, but it's it's nice to be here for a whole episode. Yeah, like fully back all the way. Yeah, back. yeah. It's nice yeah. to have you back. And uh, I don't know, maybe Dan and Devin were like, fuck that guy and just took off. I don't know. <laughs> I got things to do. <laughs> They're on their own podcast. Oh, yeah. What are, what are they discussing? Uh, probably their D's. <laughs> D's planks. Yeah. Oh, small D's and the problems that go with them. All right. <laughs> did anybody do anything cool this week? Oh, my God. I did. Yay. I did, too. All right. Can I go really quick? Because it's really quick. I, that, I hear you can. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I have not done shit for my own helicopters. I haven't flown my own helicopters. But I met up with two buddies over the weekend. I helped one of them set up a brand new uh, Raw 700, the orange one. And then I helped another buddy set up the biggest helicopter he's ever had, a RAW 580. Both of them very simple. Yeah. One of them was a Neo Evo. No issues. That was cool. Um, yeah. And that was pretty much my heli involvement. And uh, I had a good weekend because of it. And they were super stoked. Yeah, That's buddy. Awesome. Was one of them the gentleman you were helping kind of learn last week? Mm, no, a different person. God, wow, you're killing it on the helping front. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> you just hustle everything. Cars, heli parts, learning. Yeah, it's like there's a small part of it that's selfish because the more you help other people, the more you learn. Like they, they say you never fully know it until you teach it. So I yeah, try and yeah. teach as much as I can to people and help people in order to like fully cement my own learning. Because you if bet. you kind of know it and then you say it out loud, sometimes you're like, no, that doesn't make sense. That's, that doesn't mm -hmm. sound right at all. And then you, you dive deeper and, you know, try and figure it out more. And it's just shit that I've done my whole life. I'm just trying to try to always be that way. Yeah, plus yeah. now the cherry on top is you've got more pilots to fly with. Yeah, exactly. That too. Plus, like, that energy is infectious. It's awesome to see someone, like, hover for the first time or whatever. Like, that yeah. gigantic smile, their knees shaking, all of it. Like, yep. it's just fun to be around. Absolutely. And then they're stoked for the next, like, couple months, and they're bringing other people into it. So it's it's all good. Yeah, yeah nice. That's awesome. I didn't do a lot of helicopter stuff until Father's Day. So I got home from uh, wherever the heck I was, Vegas, on Friday, Thursday, I don't know. Uh, and my children are at summer camp, like sleepaway summer camp until the weekend, uh, which is awesome. I love my kids. Don't get me wrong. But like having the house to just my wife and I is amazing. Um, 
So Sunday being Father's Day, it was guilt-free, fly as long as I want, do whatever I want day. Yeah. Uh, so I used the day to kind of wrench in the morning and then go fly in the afternoon because I really haven't been home and flying a ton lately. So there's been a bunch of little projects I've wanted to do to some of the helis and kind of change some blades and do some things and just get them basically tuned in for the fun fly uh, for Dragonfly that I had to starting Wednesday. So I just kind of wanted, like, I brought all the 700s out. So I brought my Logo 700, the Raw 700, and the Puma. And I just wanted to make sure they were all in good order, give them a really good, you know, once over, and then tune them up. And I did some changes to two out of three. So the Raw 700 was a three blade. Uh, It's my Stormtrooper Raw. And I actually sold the three blade head off of it, did a little horse trading with Tom Shin. And, uh, Wanted to take that back to a two-blade. So I took the raw 700 back to a two-blade with a two-bladed tail, and I put the new SAB 721s on it to try. Uh, nice. So How do you like those? Uh, I need more time on them to really know. I've only got two packs through, but I think I really like them. Um, but early days. Um, yeah. And because I had a three-blade head, there was a lot of tuning to do just to kind of get it, you know, basically dialed back into being a two-blade. Yeah, um, yeah. Not that it was hard, but those two batteries were spent kind of like Flying a little, tuning a little, flying a little, tuning a little. So I don't really know how I feel about the blades, but um, certainly no worse than the 700 millimeters I had on there before. But uh, I think I like them. Uh, so I got the raw flying really well. Uh, so that was good. Um, it was funny that that day, Sunday morning, I didn't make it out to the field till like three, four, somewhere in that neighborhood because I grossly underestimated how long it would take me to pull the three blade head off and put the two blade on and properly set it up. And mm, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're like in a rush and you just want to get it done and you just make a bunch of stupid little mistakes. Well, oh, well yeah. that was me Sunday because I was excited. So, like, I put the canopy on too early and ended up having to take it off to level the swash again and like just stupid stuff. Um, so, whatever, I got delayed and then I caught myself rushing and I made myself like slow way down and triple check things and, you know, do it right. So, whatever, got that done, got the, the tail, you know replaced with the two-blade tail as well because you get a three-bladed tail with a three-bladed head. Anyway, that took a while. Got the raw flying really good. Uh, Logo 700, which it's been flying good post-crash, but the tracking has been kicking my butt. It's been annoyingly off. Not enough where like it makes a huge deal, but enough that it's annoying and enough that it'd be embarrassing in a fun fly um, for yeah. me. I don't know. Even though no one would probably notice. Uh, it's a dragonfly. <laughs> so I've been fighting with it. I've been putting pitch gauges on it. You know, I've got the, the RC logger, like a nice high quality pitch gauge. Could not get the damn blades in track. And then I was just trying, you know, the basic just make one blade the master and then just slowly adjust the turnbuckle until you get it closer. And that was not going super well. And finally, a buddy of mine at the field was like, why don't you just freaking fold the blades back and, you know, put it at zero pitch and then mm. adjust them until the tips touch. And I did. And it's the best the tracking has ever been on that helicopter. So nice. That old trick. Sometimes modern tools, I guess, just don't do it or for whatever reason. But that's flying fantastic. Every time I fly that Logo 100, I'm 700. I'm like, damn, this thing flies good. God, I will want to hate this helicopter. Because <laughs> I'm scared to fly it and yet love flying it all at once. Um, that's cool. So that it's was that. Like it's on rails. It really is, man. That thing does big air better than anything in my fleet, I think. Just like so agile with the VTXs on it, man. It just, like, it loops bigger. It does everything bigger uh, effortlessly um, than anything else I have. So I completely agree. 
I don't know why. I'm sure somebody with a better heli vocabulary like you, Scott, could tell me why it does, but it just does. My money is on head height and fl- frame flex. I think His that the, the head is so high compared to the CG that it makes it really stable. And the frame has a little bit of give to it, smoothing everything out. It is funny. Like I was, you know, because I was wrenching on a few different helis that day, I really noticed just how damn high up the head is away from the body of that helicopter. It's crazy. Yeah, it's tall. Tall boy. Huh. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. And then my Puma, I actually, so I've had a, a 4025 HT Eagle Drift motor in it, which is right on the ragged edge of being too small. But because I fly lower head speeds and I wanted to build a really lightweight 6S 700, that was the approach I went. And it flies great on that motor. But I wanted to maybe mess around with some slightly longer blades and I felt like the 4025 was on the edge. So I ordered an Eagle Drift 4030 HT 1050 KV motor for it. And I got that put in Sunday morning and tried the longer blades on it as well because you can run up to 720, I think 721s is, is the max you can put on the Puma. And even then with the smaller head, it's, it's borderline if you should, I think. But the manual says you can. Uh, put those on and then didn't get very far tuning that because I quickly realized that I really needed to reset the YGE uh, ESC and recalibrate it, you know, reset, you know, uh, what do you call it? Can't think of the word for the damn thing. You know, when you run zero pitch and spool it up above 50% on the ground. Normalization. Um, thank standard, you. Standardization, sorry. Yes. I need to do that again because it's doing some slightly weird stuff with the ESC and I'm pretty sure that's all it is. So, um, But it is amazing. I noticed right away that the flights were shorter. The amp, you know, the amp draw was obviously a little larger. So I may have to bump up the ESC. I've got a YGE 125 on it right now. I might go to a Hobbywing 150. I don't know, still experimenting. I might just go back to 700 millimeter blades on it, but I at least want to give them a try. Uh, so anyway, playing around with the Puma on that, um, but at least got it tuned and, and happy with those blades on it. I now need, just need to work on getting the ESC dialed. So uh, nice. so that was good. It was a productive day Sunday. It was like I was a man on a mission. You know, I bought two batteries for every helicopter and I was like just hustling to get through them all. I, you know, I wanted to just kind of get everything dialed in and then put it away. I could have flown until it was dark, but, um, you know, it's that Sunday before the fun fly thing where you don't want to push, like, push your luck. You're like, all right, I landed. I got through all six packs. Everything's safe. We're going home. Um, right. Oh, so that was good. You know, I started packing for Dragonfly. I'm bringing the raw nitro with me. I'm going to start on it tomorrow while I finish packing. I'll bring it with me in case it does rain. Um, you know, I can do some work on it, so... Uh, do some building on that. Uh, there are some occasional showers on the forecast, like Scott and I and, and Kenny were just talking about. You know, I know there's some people who like to look at the forecast and go, well, it says 40% chance of rain every day. I'm not going, but I would encourage you to think about the fact that it's summer, that there's often thunder showers in the afternoons at Dragonfly and it clears up in about an hour. It's no big deal. So, yeah, yeah. I'm still going to head out there. I would recommend it, but he does too. Uh, and I think that's it, man. I'm super stoked. So I'm going to own to Dragonfly Wednesday through Sunday. So I'll be there, I don't know, Wednesday lunchtime-ish and head home Sunday lunchtime-ish. And I'm really excited to just fly as much or as little as I want every day. And yeah, uh, buddy. relax and talk helicopters and meet some new people and some see some old friends and just have a freaking ball, man. I'm super stoked. And Fun. Uh, that's all I got. Sorry, I feel like I'm talking 100 miles an hour, but I'm uh, I'm in that like Dude, zone yeah. where you get super excited about helicopters again. <laughs> um, now that life is opening up time to play with them. 
Totally, man. Sounds like you had a nice full heli week. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it was Definitely. dope. What about you, Rob? What are you even up to? Uh, mine was only medium dope, I guess. Not as dope as yours. Pretty standard week for my me. You know, I, I just get my, my steady regular flights during the week. This week, I took the X5 out to the park um, along with the T-Rex 600 and the little uh, uh, Oxy-2. And just, you know, had some fun on Wednesday and Thursday, like midweek. Um, had house, various house kind of honey-do lists, self-honey-do lists, I guess, because I'm a single dad. It's just my own list of shit I got to do. So I've just been working around the house for the week. Um, and, uh, yeah, Father's Day here um, just yesterday. Went and uh, had some supper with my sons and uh, my father-in-law. Uh, my dad doesn't live in the state, so I couldn't visit him. But um, So that was nice, just grilled, you know, and just relaxed. Um, so, but... Um, yeah, I don't have nearly as much as you had, uh, Nick. You know, but uh, I, you know, as the summer starts, I'm I'm starting to collect more things to get ready for Urcha and getting that planning going and stuff like that, so I can start getting my registration in there and getting rooms for sure, stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to that shit for sure. But that's really all my week was, I suppose, up till now. Um, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Oh, and I didn't stick any parts together this week, so that's a plus. Um, yeah. I I did, by the way, you know, when I listened to the episode from last week, because I missed, you know, the first three quarters of it. Have a good chuckle at your expense on that one. That was enjoyable. It was not as good as Nick's finger and his nose, but it was it was closer. Or was it Justin? I forget. But anyway, either way, that was awesome. Oh, man. (laughs) All right. Oh, wow. That was a quick open for us three. Um, Should we uh, should we do some news? Yeah, I think so. We just talk faster than Dan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good news. Wow. Okay. Short, understated, but to the point, I like it. (laughs) Oh, I just choked on my news. Sorry. (laughs) So, not much news this week. The hobby seems to have slowed down a little bit on that front. So, just kind of a few quick hits and, and one. Uh, interesting one that happened moments before we uh, press record this evening. Uh, so in no particular order. Uh, so the long-running RC Heli news thread on HeliFreak seems to have finally died. So this thread has been around since RCHN version 2.0. And it was just a thread on HeliFreak where people would post uh, recent news. Yeah. Uh, but n- and it was been in, you know, it was always on the front page of HeliFreak. But uh Nobody's posted in it since early May, uh, mm. which personally is a bummer because my lazy ass often would go scan over there and see what I missed <laughs> uh, and no one's doing it. So either we need to resurrect that thread and get back to work. People, please help my lazy self out. <laughs> Bring us the news. <laughs> or maybe it's just indicative of traffic on that site, you know, continuing to slow down as folks kind of move to other sources for information uh, away from kind of online forums and more towards social media. Who knows? But Go ahead and resurrect it if that upsets you. If not, uh, it's a sad day for my laziness. Goose Guy announced the price of that RS4 Venom we talked about last week. So again, this is a kit version of a 380 size helicopter that includes the main and tail blades, plus the more powerful motor over the stock RS4. Again, the the Goose Guy Venom is kind of a, a souped up, better servo layout you can use. Not necessarily better, but more conventional uh, you can use any server you want versus using the Goose Guy ones that are provided with the RS4 kits. 
uh, etc. And that kit is now available for pre-order at your favorite Goose Guide dealer for US $419. Uh, no word on a ship date yet, although the kits are already in the hands of some team pilots and distributors. So I don't think it's going to be too much longer from now. Maybe a month, let's guess. But that's a guess. Either way, won't be long before those are shipping and in the hands of customers. All right. This next bit of news is about our very own Dan K. Reed, who was seen in public recently wearing a T-shirt with the slogan, Yes, that's a knife in my pocket, but I'm still happy to see you. <laughs> Can we talk about this for a minute? Like, just what does this T-shirt say about Dan? He's and just how small or large a knife do we think it is in his pocket? Oh, Swiss yes. Army knife. <laughs> Swiss Army knife in his pocket. Okay. The, the little one with the tweezers in it and the yeah. little cross. So it's not like the big old hunting buck knife or anything. It's oh, a, no. Cold uh, knife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the crocodile Dundee knife. Yeah. With the big, nice. I like it. Speaking of knife, I wonder if Dan's just going to cut this whole segment out of the episode. We'll see. Uh, but I also, although I think we kind of, maybe we alluded to this before we pressed record, but I want to give Dan a little shit for dragging his trailer all the way down to the Carolinas. He's in the Outer Banks right now and not driving it over to Dragonfly to come meet us and hang out. So, uh, you are the weakest link. Good night. Yeah, well, according to him as well, uh, it's just right down the street. It's the same place. So, clearly, if he's five minutes down the road from Dragonfly, he should drag his trailer there. Yeah. Not I've fucking six home. hours away. Yeah. He can work from the trailer for a few days and then come yeah. fly. Totally. And yeah, speaking of Dragonfly, if you are anywhere near East Bend, North Carolina, uh, it'll be the weekend this episode is airing, so it'll be in process on Friday when this episode comes out, running through uh, Sunday afternoon. Yes. Good listening for your heli flying. All right, and then lastly, this is news coming in hot that we're going to take as our news of the week. Uh, so Kyle Dahl posted a short video clip of some new helicopter servos he's testing. Uh, he's got his Logo 700 outfitted with some new expert KD-2 cyclics and a KD-2T tail servo with all of them running at 760 Pulse. So Kyle did also go on to say that the servos will be auto-sensing. Now this is interesting. So no need to program them to be either 760 or 1520 Pulse. They'll simply detect the output from your fly and switch themselves to the right mode, hmm. which means you don't need to program them, which is cool, but there's no further specs beyond that tease. And this does make me think that they will probably not be programmable. Right? If they auto-sense, then there's probably no need to hook a programmer up to it, which to me is a bummer because I still will keep saying the Holy Grail of servos is still a programmable servo with a removable lead like the other experts that can also run at 760 Pulse. So we'll see if Expert will be the first to market with this. Like I said, no word on whether they're programmable. I suspect not since they're auto-sensing, but we'll see. Either way, it's cool to see Expert working on some new servos. I've always been uh, a fan of their... Uh, of their servos. Yeah. I'm really hoping they release like the R2s, maybe an R3 uh, that's a little bit lower end servo without the Kyle Dell software uh, that still does 760 because I don't want to pay that much for KD1s or KD2s. It's just, it's just enough to make me think twice about it where the R1s yeah. and R2s, you know, they're cheap enough where I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That's totally doable. Yeah. I'll grab a set. Yeah, I mean, that's what I bought for my raw nitro are the regular uh, KD1s or whatever, not the Kyle Dahl ones, but sorry, the, you know, the regular. Yeah. What is it, the R's? R2s? R2s, R2s. R2s. yeah. Because um, I'm a big fan and I love the removable servo leads, so 
nice to see uh, expert working on something new. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that's all I got for news this week. Anybody else got anything? All right. Slow news week in the hobby. That's it for the news this week. Real-time news is interesting. I'm used to assuming that I heard what you said, and I got to hear it in real time this time. (laughs) It's a little different, right? Yeah, dude. It hits right to the core. Well, it's also nice to hear a voice and response every now and then instead of talking to yourself in your hotel room. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get into our main topic. Nitro build series. So this one's going to be all about heading towards maidening your first Nitro helicopter. So I suspect we'll still have two more episodes in the future, maybe one about tuning, another one about basic troubleshooting, but this one's going to be focused on the mate. Like, how do you set yourself up uh, for success? So Devin's, you know, pretending that uh, not being in your house is some kind of excuse to miss the recording. I don't know how many cities I've joined from, but, uh, you know, anyway, uh, Dan's on his way back from a little uh, vacation. Uh, so he's out tonight. So it's just Scott, Rob, and I for the most part, but we'll get to that in a second. So I'm going to throw some questions at uh, Scott, and Rob will, will jump in there too, I'm sure. Uh, although we won't let Rob answer, being that his only Nitro experience, the Maiden, was smoking up his basement and watching one fly away. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so we'll stick to Scott for the uh, for the answers, but... We didn't want it to be all about Scott answering, so we actually have a guest this week since Devin and Dan aren't here as well. So we've got uh, Kenny Hutton from Team A-Main here with us as well to provide uh, an opposing viewpoint. So welcome, Kenny. What's up, Kenny? Thanks for having me. Uh, good to be here, and hopefully I can provide some help on Nitro. Yeah, I'm sure you can. Uh, so Kenny, so for those that uh, maybe don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your hobby background, how long you've been in the hobby, uh, what's in your fleet right now, like what you like to fly? You know, nitro versus electric, etc. That's a deep one. Um, start so started with uh, everything. Like when I was younger, I had RC boats and little stuff. You know, you're younger. Everybody had like the fast tracks, you know, toys and stuff like that. They played yep. with them, I'm sure. But it just went from there. I went to doing some RC car racing, like ten scale stuff. You know, playing around with it, and then got a little more into that. And just always liked RC stuff. You know, ended up. Um, first getting into planes actually as a planker <laughs> Ooh, it was it was planking at first so i i actually played with a few little helicopters but they were like those you know two or three channel things when i first tried it and it was just you know it was too much at first when i was you know getting started so i did planes for three or four years and after a while you know just got bored with like you know dragging the tail on the ground and doing everything you could think of you just you're like okay i'm gonna try something you know planes you can do a lot of stuff with but you know, it is with helicopters. There's always a new challenge or something, you know, it's more, yeah, more work. So got into doing that. I just, I started out with Nitro actually. I didn't even, I didn't buy any small helicopters. I started out with a Raptor 50 Titan. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice. That was the first one. I just I actually got it off Craigslist from a person that had it already built. So I just went on Heli Freaking. I was already reading stuff and figured it out and set it up and successful first flights. You know, I just did some flips and figured it out and, grew from there and started learning more stuff, you know, over time. 
Were nine. you flying nitro airplanes at that point and had some nitro experience or did you just jump right in with helis? Yeah, that was from everything. Like I started out with the cars doing that. You know, I was running some nitro like the RC10 GT back in the day and played with that stuff and did 10 scale, 8 scales later on. I did an 8 scale buggy um, electric and nitro racing and um, learned a lot from doing motors on those. You know, we had like pinch devices for the sleeves. You could actually, on those, they don't have any um, rings on them. So you, uh, one of the guys that I was friend with actually made those things. It's a sleeve you slide over the engine sleeve and you pinch it down to make it tighter it's basically hmm. like re-ringing the engine you know like you can rebuild them that way basically and make them last longer so we did stuff you know modding car stuff too and then took some of that to airplanes and ended up flying nitro airplanes and then had a few uh larger like 30 percent airplanes and stuff like that you know was doing smoke on the airplanes and all that kind of stuff too 3d and so what's uh what nitro helis do you have in your fleet right now uh, three of them. I have the, the Tron 50 Nitron, and then I have, um, it's always hard to remember. I have so many LEDs, but I have the SAB RAW, the Nitro HD conversion. I took my electric and made it Nitro a while back, and um, the Tron 90 also. Nice. And actually, I have a fourth. <laughs> mm-hmm. I forgot I even have the, the Nitroxy I took out the other day, too, and finally flew it. It had been sitting on the shelf for a bit. So, four cool. of them at the moment. <laughs> Nice. What's your what's your favorite nitro out of those right now? Uh, the the ninety really is just because of the power to weight. Like I mean, everything you know that even the the fifty size ones fly great. That in that same sense, if you put some six ten you know rotor techs on there or something that you know like the ultimates that have wider cords on them. But the um the nitron ninety is super light, and I got the ninety six power tune set up in it. And it just pulls like crazy. Nice, nice. Well, thanks for jumping in. Uh, kind of at the last minute today, Kenny. We certainly appreciate that. And uh, we're going to start firing some questions off. Sure, no problem. Okay. And actually, you know, it's funny, Kenny. You just mentioned blades. I'm actually going to insert a new question here. So the one thing we didn't talk about when we're buying a nitro helicopter is is blade selection. I mean, other than just using what comes in the box if if your kit comes with blades, but if you're picking blades for your nitro... Is there is there something you know you should have a strong preference towards, or, or what do you look for in a nitro blade? Uh, Kenny, why don't you start with that one? Um, I would say, I mean, Scott's got the same. Uh, he's done a lot of kits like I have too with the same thing. You'll grab it out of there. You know, you get a kit with an SAB helicopter. You get blades with it, or how the lines used to be. Some of that stuff works good. You know, in the old days, I would just fly like the standard, you know, a line blade that came with a nitro. You know, it was decent, but. Nowadays, there's so many different options, but I tend to lean towards the wider cords just because it's less stress on the drivetrain and the motor, you know? You get a lot more grab in the air versus, you know, like some of the blades that are thinner, like Azures fly really solid, you know, and stable, but they don't have that quick pop to them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I tend to lean towards wider cords usually. What about you, Scott? Yeah, I'll go for a, a wide cord as well, but what I to try to look for too is a really light blade so i'll go for like a what is a 693 xf from switch those are really decent i'll run a 690 size um rotor tech uh those 700 ultimates are really good too just because they're so light um and believe it or not i'll run with old fly bar blades like if you have an old set of like curtis young bloods or something or revos i think they're called or revolution i think it was um they work really really well because 
Like you don't so much need the weight and stability in a nitro. They're pretty stable with light blades. But what you do like to have is the light disc mass. So that way when you pop it and do something like a, you know, a, a quick cyclic jab or collective jab, uh, it can recover really easily because the blades are so light and it doesn't take as much um, force in the air to make it react against its own gyroscopic forces in the air. So it doesn't have to try as hard to do cyclic movements. So a light blade is really, really good. That makes sense. Yep. That's one of the things I've done before too. I've used the same thing, get like some fly barred blades and they, they seem to handle pretty nice. Even yeah. on, you know, fly bars, some people think it's crazy but when you try it, you realize they're not really that unstable. Yeah. They're super locked in still and it feels good. So, uh, what you don't want to do is like 720 full weight blades. That's going to fly pretty shitty. A good, I mean, a good representation was yesterday. I was flying the nitroxy, and I'm used to flying it with the the 610 ultimates on there because they're light and poppy like that. And I had the spin blades on there, and it just, you know, it had a lot more of a dead feel. I mean, it's a good feel if you're like you're starting out like that. You'd probably be better off, you know, using something like that that has less, you know, pop and direction to it, so you can be more stable. Yeah. So. It's interesting you say don't go 720. So if I have a choice with this kit between SAB S700s or S721s, you're saying 700s is the way to go. They're so light anyway. Um, it makes a smaller blade feel like a bigger blade because you're disc loading. Mm -hmm. um, electrics, you really want to put a big blade on there if you want it to feel light in the air and floaty. Um, but nitro, like a 710 or a 715 on a electric feels like a 690 on a nitro kind of thing. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Kenny, just so you know, I've yet to fly Nitro at all. So I'm uh, just about to start a raw 700 Nitro, um, which I've been saying for like a month or and a half now. <laughs> but nice. for real, I'm actually finally starting it. A bunch of life stuff got out of the way so I can I can get to it. So uh, a lot of these questions are self-serving because I honestly am clueless about Nitro. So um, that's where all these are coming from. Okay. Same. So... For the purposes of these questions, we built our helicopter. We got a brand new motor in it or engine, depending on what floats your boat. Uh, it's time to work towards the maiden of the helicopter. So it's built. It's on the bench. Everything's connected. What's the first thing I should do at this point? Confirm all surfaces are moving in the right direction. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> hey, what I was going to say. Okay. The secondary Double one is check. check on your throttle, like that it's actually moving, opening the carburetor towards the forward direction, you know, and, and not reversed because that that's a big mistake nitro guys will make right off the bat you know is you're trying to fire it up and you're actually actually have the carburetor open and it's should be closed or just you know a tenth of the way open that i've seen many people do that just accidentally flip the reverse in the transmitter or they've done something to where they just don't have it on the arm right it's a couple of things yeah yeah suppose throttle on a nitro is a, seems a little bit less straightforward than on electric yeah, I mean, you can't see the carburetor. I used to, in the old days, I would just stick a, a zip tie. You know, you stick one there just, if you can't see it, you can slide a zip tie into your carburetor opening and then tell if it's open or shut. You know, if you can pass one through it, then you know you're at full throttle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So let's talk about programming then, since we kind of jumped into control directions. So obviously we got to have an adjustable idle of some kind, which for me on a V-Control, I'm picturing would go on one of the knobs um, so that I can tweak the idle point. And so, and I'm imagining there's some kind of auto rotation setting, which is basically same back to that same auto uh, idle point rather, and then obviously a, a throttle kill. But like, how do I set up that throttle linkage? Like, what am I looking for when I do that? Um, 
you want the the on the carburetor if it's like an OS engine there's you know the open line then there's a closed line mark on the side of the carburetor and then there's three lines in the middle which is like hover you know like 60% throttle 30% throttle and you want it all the way to the rear the closed mark but then it should be to idle you want that just two or three clicks above that so when you're looking at that notch it'd be a few notches above that line would be idle on most motors what about like servo resolution do i want to like size the linkage such that I get almost the full throw of the servo um, between these various points. You want the arms, mostly you want to make sure both arms, the arm on your servo and the arm on your carburetor need to be the same length. So you're getting linear throw, you know, so it's not actually pulling it too much at the end of the throw or not enough because the arm's too short on your servo so that it operates. Yeah. Sometimes what it'll do is if you put too small of an arm on your car, on your servo, it's going to, you know, move the servo way too many degrees before it actually opens the carburetor and it's almost to like a sideways 90 degree binding position. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So confirming yeah. that length is one of the things. And you can also research the uh, chicken dance spring, like putting a spring on the <laughs> arm down to the frame, which some people don't do it. And I mean, it happens, you know, I just started doing it a few years ago just to be safe, but you can you never know when your receiver pack's going to fly off or something in a crash and then it just runs wide open. So, I have a question related to like the throttle linkage and the arm length and stuff, right? And maybe I'm thinking about it from the wrong perspective, but as soon as I start thinking about a throttle servo that's being managed by a governor, right? For instance, then uh in for some reason I picture in my head is it possible like if that arm is say too long or something like that that there could be like wag in the throttle you know where you get this kind of like where it can't it's hunting all the time um does that kind of thing happen at the throttle side kind of like it used to do on the tail side yeah most um like icon i've run you know i run a little everything just to to learn from all of them you know icon yeah v-bar and all them you have gains so it's just like your tail gain you know turning it up is going to make it react fairly fast and too quick sometimes like usually the best way to test that is leave it in the center like 40 50 percent usually is fine for throttle game, but if you're coming down, like if you go up in the air, I don't usually use use it like as a test when you're climbing, but it's a better test when you drop. Like if you go up in the air yeah. a couple hundred feet and then you give it a bunch of negative, when you come down, it's going to overspeed like crazy more if you have your game too high because it's trying to just punch it all the time, you know, and, and you can mm. turn that down to where it slowly, gradually lets off and at the bottom of your, you know, drop. It actually would stay at a lower throttle instead of just trying to rev up. So it depends okay. on how you want it to be. I mean, you don't have to have it right on the edge like you do with the electric, where it stays steady, but you don't want it too high either, yeah, because then it over, it'll actually overshoot and compensate, you know. It'll actually floor itself too much when you're climbing or yeah. dropping. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So, so it's sort of the same kind of attack in tuning it, but for a different purpose. Yeah, to give you the, to answer that directly too, uh, if you have a servo arm that's exactly the same length as the uh, carb, like Kenny said, that's perfect. If you have an arm in the servo that's longer, that is like um, increasing your gain. So you've added like mechanical gain. It's got more yeah. carb throw for a degree of servo position. Right. And if you made that arm shorter, it's like decreasing your gain. Servo has to move a lot further in order to make the same effect on the carb. So Makes you really want to get it, both of them 90 degrees as possible, and then both the exact same length. If they're both long, cool. Both short, cool. It's all the same. Yeah. Um, 
What I normally do is I'll start with the carb one because they're a little bit harder to get right and get to fit onto the carb. Like each engine position is different. The distance from the motor and um, fan shroud is a little different. So I start there. Once I get one of those that fits the way I want, I'll find a servo arm that's the exact same size. I'll then put that on the servo. I'll make sure they're both um, right at the center position. So I'll put the throttle uh, in center. And then I'll loosen up the carb. I'll, I'll put the carb as close to the middle position as I can and then line up the servo arms where I want them. So everything's 90 degrees centered, same length and in the middle. And then I'll set my high limit and I'll set my low limit so they're the same on both ends. That way the servo throw for closed is the same as open. So it doesn't change like the rate of uh, carb opening at one side of the servo versus the other. It's very yeah. linear. Yeah, um, one to one. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then with yeah, V-bar, some... sorry. With V-Bar, um, you want to set that with your throttle cut and your idle set to zero. That way you're programming true zero and true 100% positive. And then you go in and you, you put your idle in there and then you do your throttle cut, which will go delete the idle number out uh, And when you hit your throttle cut switch. Yeah, okay. Icon is similar to that to where you, you have to set it basically your low idles above the closed position. So your true zero is actually the closed position. Mm-hmm. And then you're the same way, yeah, your auto idle on V bar is the same way. You'll be a little bit, I actually set mine on V bar. My auto idle is a little above my standard idle. That's so good. I have like regular idle, then I have a touch higher for when you're doing an auto just so it doesn't stall. And then your cut is completely closed. Yeah. Another same. thing too on the arm lengths is make sure, like on the, this is an example on the Tron 90. So when I put the, you know, the instructions would call for you just using like a OS 105 or, or the 91. And, the way it worked out with mine, the carburetor on the power tune is perfectly horizontal. So that puts the carburetor barrel farther away from my servo, like seven or eight, 10 millimeters. So my arm wasn't long enough or the rod wasn't. So I had to um, actually slice the, um, the rod in half and use carbon rod and extend it like 10 or 15 millimeters to get my, both of my servo and my carburetor arms to be in the same position. Like you both, you want them both to be, you know, at a 45 degree angle at the same time or a 90 degree angle at the same time. So they're working linear. Mm -hmm. Cool. So let's talk a little bit more about just some generic radio settings. I don't want to get too specific to V control or any particular platform, but I'm assuming, you know, if we discuss having banks or idle ups, whatever you want to call them, um, that your first mode should have full pitch control, uh, but obviously, for throttle, you just want it on idle, and then you really only have two usable head speeds if you've got three banks. Is that right? Or is there mm. something different there? Because obviously, you need a mode you can start the thing in, and then one where you know engage the clutch and, and start spooling it up. Yeah. So what I what I do is not necessarily what everyone else does. Um, I'll have three different banks. Bank one is what they refer to as like direct throttle or normal mode. Uh, which means that if the stick is all the way down at negative collective, your throttle's uh, at idle. And then you could raise your throttle from there. So it's really good for tuning. You know that the carb is 100% full at full stick deflection, and you know it's at 50% at center stick deflection. There's no governor involved in that mode. Um, good for spooling up, good for like troubleshooting, uh, maybe priming the engine on the bench, stuff like that. Uh, awesome use for that. And then idle up two or bank two and bank three. Um, those are when I set a head speed and it's governed in that mode. So usually I'll take off in normal mode, then I'll pop into into bank two or bank three and do my flight. 
Um, some people don't do that. Some people like having three distinct RPMs and let the governor take care of spool up and everything, just like an electric. And then it's always an idle when it's in throttle hold kind of thing. So different schools of thoughts. One of them's more like coming from an electric background and one of them's coming from a nitro background. Um, it is harder to tune your engine with a governor enabled because it'll start to do things that you might confuse for, you know, going rich and mid or something or, or, you know, weird tuning anomalies, whereas the governor tuning you're fighting with. Um, and then governor performance is also thrown off by a bad tune as well. You can get a bunch of weird surging and pulsing and shit like that. So I always like having a non-governed linear bank to test and prove things out. Like old school bank kind of deal. <laughs> yes, yeah. sir. Yeah, I do the same thing. I just, I have only, you know, a few degrees of negative on my normal mode like that and i just i don't plan on flying it much other than just taking off and flipping into my other banks usually same kind of setup right on we'll see if i flip it inverted and kill the throttle <laughs> here's some other things to go into and, and it's not like a brand thing but literally like since i fly everything different like the icons if you have any throttle above like your original setting of like zero then can't just flip into idle one or two it will automatically go into full throttle so that's something you need to know if you're running an icon you have to there's like a bailout timer so it's kind of like it goes into bailout so if you want to use normal mode and take off you're fine you can just flip it into your other idles but if you're going to take off a soft start you need to make sure that your normal mode even when you're just you can't just adjust your idle on the on the transmitter and like bump it up to what you want without going back and setting that point on the carburetor to be digitally zero on your transmitter if you know what i'm saying if, yeah. if the transmitter sees above you know or the icon sees above zero then when you flip out of your normal mode it instantly goes full throttle because there's it's thinking it's bailing out of a auto oh that's wild and it does soft yeah. start if you have it on low throttle already and the other the way i get around that if i want to take off soft i, I can you, you leave it on your normal hold where it's just idling and then you put it in idle uh one or two or bank one or two and then you turn your hold off, and then it will recognize that you're coming from hold to a soft start. So if you're doing an icon, that's the steps you want to do to be safe, I guess. Mm. And I learned that's also what... in Futaba, there is no soft start, so I actually made my own. You can um, go into it, and you can create a throttle delay. So I went in, I turned the throttle, um, my actual bank for you know idle one or two, has a throttle delay when it takes off, and it'll spin pull up basically the same way as a, the, the standard ones would do with a soft start. It just gradually moves the servo up the speed that you select on the um, the servo speed. And then once the governor kicks in, it takes over fast movement servo. That is hands down the coolest feature of Futaba as far as I'm concerned, uh, being able to change modes uh, and set delays on them such that uh, you know it slowly transitions. So if you've got different pitch settings between banks or, mo or flight modes or whatever, you flip a switch, it's not going to leap into the air. It just slowly yeah. Uh, tweaks. Yeah, I think you cool. go in and like add a condition for like a delay when you're in those two modes, and then you can it'll take off just like a standard soft start, and you yeah, can adjust yes. that speed to how you want. That's pretty neat. Radio Master's got that in the programming too, but that's more like manual programming, so it's not as straightforward, but you can do it. It's pretty cool. So let's talk about governors a little bit. I feel like at least just reading lots of Nitro posts online now that I've become more aware and trying to learn. Like people have a lot of problems with governors getting those set up correctly, just to the point it's reading RPM correctly. Are there any tips for sort of setting your governor, um, making sure that it's going to be able to read RPM before you start the thing for the first time? 
Um, any tips and tricks around those? Keep your friends close and your magnets closer. <laughs> <laughs> but not your backplate. <laughs> yes. Keep that farther. Maybe a, yeah. a millimeter, three quarters of a millimeter. <laughs> very, very. I, uh, uh, the thickness of a um, credit card is about what you want your backplate sensor if it's a standard spectrum style. Okay. To get it to pick up correctly anyway. Can you test that on the ground if you manually, you know, spin the the head so that the engine will rotate or uh, or spin the fan or whatever? Can you see that you're getting, you know, slow RPM and it works or do you really have to start the thing to check it? Yeah, all three, all, all three or four of the main flybarless units, you can either go in through your transmitter and see the the um, point at which it, you know, contacts the magnet. It'll say that magnet on, you know, governor on, governor off and. All, the icon you have to do it either with your phone or with the app, and Futaba you can do it with the um, the tra- the uh, setup uh, programming box also. Mm-hmm. Um, something I want to touch on too, like Kenny had joked about, the backplate distance will change between motor types too. So everyone kind of has this mentality that you can't run a backplate sensor on a YS. Um, you can, including the Steelliner one, if you bump the distance further back. Believe it or not, like maybe or three mils out hmm. then it picks uh, it up sh- yeah but i never really recommend backplate sensors just because they get all soupy and nasty and it's just it's gross it's harder to get the motor out and stuff and work on it it's just one more thing so what i normally do is i'll run like a spartan magnet sensor for a fan or a clutch um and then glue those magnets in and set its position and usually that's a set and forget kind of thing um i haven't thrown a magnet or had issues like that occur uh, but one thing you need to make sure is that you have the magnets opposing each other. They can't be the same pole. So one has to be north, one has to be south. So normally what I recommend people do is stick them together, color the outside edges, and then make sure those colored edges are either both sticking out or both in when you install the magnets. And be careful you don't rub it off with your fingers when you glue it in, then you can't tell which way it went. Yeah, the black marker works, and it doesn't It doesn't come up as long as you don't rub the actual magnets where you can smear it because it's a slick surface. Yeah. I go even farther with this option. I have like a uh, – so I take – over the years, I've lost magnets, which a lot of people have done. I'm sure <laughs> Scott's probably lost some too. They fly off <laughs> while you're flying. You know, they just disappear. And it can happen just randomly, or it can happen because you smoked the clutch super hot, you know, and then made it fall out basically. Mm-hmm. So I, I go in – if I'm using the magnets – um. I do like he said, the same thing, you know, you face them to each other and mark them, but I'll take a brand new razor blade or an X-Acto knife and I, I spin them in my hand and I scratch them. Like I actually go around them and spin them around and scrape them with a razor blade so that they're rough. And then I'll take and zigzag on the actual back of each magnet while they're stuck together, you know, and scratch that and use that as my surface that goes down to the clutch. So that part there is just, it's got a rough surface now so that the super glue holds a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. And then once they're in there, you you have to shove them directly down. Like I use the tip of my, you know, three or four millimeter wrench. You just stick them on the wrench and just shove it straight down with a drop of CA in there. And when they're in there, I actually put another drop of CA on top, like surrounding the magnet, maybe an eighth of an inch away around it, and then use some hardener on that. And that way that extra glue surface tension is on the clutch itself, making sure that it doesn't fall out. And usually you don't lose them that way. Yeah, that's what I do, and I haven't lost one yet. I mean, I had, you know, I lost them as a kid, you know, sticking them in like plastic Raptor fans and shit like that. But like SAB fans using that glue method you explained works really, really well. I always figured they should have had um, 
like I wanted to build the clutch to where, you know, when, when the magnet goes in, you just have a, a hole drilled slightly off the edge of the magnet hole and use a grub screw, you know, and run the grub screw down. It pinches the magnet in there so it can't come out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think they're worried that if you have any kind of external pressure or force or fracture on a magnet, it likes to blow apart. Yeah, it can't so touch it. It couldn't touch it hardly at all or it would be yeah. <laughs> crack it. You're going to get people twisting that, cranking it down and cracking the magnet and then that shit just goes pow! Magnet pieces everywhere. Down in your motor. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another another thing to note too, if you have the option to put it on the clutch bell or the fan, always opt for the fan for two reasons. It doesn't get hot like Kenny mentioned if you smoke the clutch. Or it doesn't get as hot, let's say, because uh, of constant airflow and stuff. And the other thing too is you actually get a readout at idle, which is super cool. Um, whereas if it's on the clutch bell, you only get an RPM readout when you start to spool up and the clutch bites and it starts to turn the bell. Um, so like if you look at a, like a Synergy N7, it's on the bell. You won't get a readout until you start to spool. But I think it's super cool to see, you know, 500 odd RPM at idle. Um, obviously the motor's not doing 500. It's still doing the gear ratio math for the main rotor. But it's cool to see that. And you could see, you know, is it higher? Is it at 600 today or is it 400 today? And it kind of gives you like a first glance other than audible uh, check. Where's my tuning? Is it a little lean or a little rich? If it's rich, it'll mm. be low. If it's lean, it'll be high. Um, or if it's right in that, you know, 500 range, you know, it's looking pretty good. Um, just one more thing to look at and get familiar with, you know. That's a neat kind of tip, actually. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's move on to a couple more details here, uh, working towards starting this thing for the first time. So this is going to sound like a really basic question, but I think some people, I know we've talked about some of the things that can go wrong when you're fueling a helicopter, but how do we put fuel in a non-regulated and then a regulated engine? What's the right way to get fuel in the tank? <laughs> Definitely pull the line while it's pressurized. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. do that. Aim high, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll let you take this one, Kenny. Oh, so, okay. The um, It's straightforward with the non-regulated you just um remove your you know you should be using some kind of a filter with a t-valve or some kind of t-fitting to, to fuel it but you would just remove the the cap and then um you know insert your hose and fuel it up you shouldn't have any issue because it's just gonna le relieve the pressure through the muffler fitting and um and definitely don't want to take off with that uh un, you know forget it that's something you can do too. forget to put the cap back on or it's kind of the same scenario as some people using the glow igniters and forgetting to take them off the engine also. Those are two things you definitely got to remember. Um, fueling the uh, regulated is a little different. Obviously, you got to take the line off of the um, return line that goes from the crankcase to the tank. And then, you know, to relieve any pressure, usually just sitting in the sun, you'll have pressure. Or just from the previous flight, the heat in the pressure itself builds back up. So you want to release it and then leave that line off and then do the same steps to take off the, the standard fill line and fill your tank up and then connect both um, caps back on and same thing just in the filters usually you don't have to check them that often like i the way you're running the fuel through your lines you're only you know you're only filtering basically from your fuel your best bet is to use a fuel filter in your actual jug because the filters technically aren't really doing anything on your helicopter yeah makes sense if you look at how they're hooked up you're going your fuel's going backwards through the filters to the tank unless you're fueling through your vent line and then when they come back through it's whatever you pumped out of your tank so always keep your fuel tanks clean and the filter in your tank in your jug clean 
it depends on plumbing. If you have your fill T behind your filter, so it goes fill T, filter, carb, yeah. they work. Incoming fuel and tank fuel is always on the external side of the filter, so it does its job. But um, Yeah, you have the single filter, but, but you basically the tank one is just there to prevent bubbles. It's not really actually, that, that section's not doing anything. So you got to keep an eye on the one that's before your carburetor. And I've never really seen the aligned ones actually get full of much. I've had a few little fibers get in them, but they usually stay clean for a long time. Yeah, those are directional too. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and those, yeah, I, if you use them, you don't want to over-tighten them. I don't know if you ever have one crack. <laughs> yeah. They work great, but just, don't, just lightly snug them. They can strip and crack if you just do too much on them. Yeah, I've gotten one cracked from, you know, from purchasing it, but I never snapped one like that. But definitely seems like you can. They're pretty weak plastic. But like with the Align one, as long as the metal threaded cap is facing your carb, you're good. Your filter's on the right side. Uh, I don't do exactly what you do because I kind of go to the same school of simplification is beautiful. I don't like plugs. I don't like T-fittings. I don't like any of that stuff. I don't even run a filter. I so, have a few helis like that too. Some are and some aren't on my setups. It depends. Yeah. It's just, just easy. And I've had stuff even with filters get into the carb, so I stopped kind of giving a shit about that um i do agree with you with the fuel like put a fuel filter on the fuel tank and just be done with it pump in clean fuel into the tank and then don't you know don't leave it in the tank too much but i'll run a felt clunk um sab or moas links work awesome um, i go through a very thin wall uh tube inside the tank so the clunk is nice and free to move around where it needs to um and then from there, I just go straight from the tank right to the carb. A nice, you know, a nice routed line doesn't rub on anything or get kinked anywhere. Right to the carb. And then I'll have a pressure line that's 100 millimeters from the back of the engine because I run a you know regulated YS engine. Then I have my diaphragm at the bottom. Um, and then that goes from the diaphragm right to the tank. Those are the only connections in it. So when I'm fueling, I'll pop the uh, line from the diaphragm on the tank side. That way the tank pressure can vent immediately. Um, so the diaphragm stays connected to the motor. And then I'll pull the line from the carb and fill it up. Um, that ensures, A, I don't forget to pinch my line and I don't you know, flood my motor. Um, I don't accidentally forget to vent it before I fuel it. And I don't have excess connections that are just points where it can leak. Um, if I'm running a non-regulated motor, like a, you know, OS 55 non-reg or a 105 non-reg, um, I simplify it even further. So I just have a line that goes straight from the exhaust straight to the tank. That one never comes off, never really changes. And then a straight line from the tank right to the carb. And that is also where I feel it from too. Um, a lot of people struggle with non-regulated motors because it's easy to flood the motor if you don't pinch off the line going into the carb. Um, so one of the reasons I do that is you never have to worry about it because you've disconnected it from the carb. You'll never flood your motor. Um, where with those aligned T fittings, if you forget to pinch it, it's going to flood and then you'll struggle to get it started next time. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. All right. Next question. Do we start the engine at home with no blades on or do we do it at the field with blades on the first time we start an, a new engine Ooh. or in your mom's basement? You're going to get people freaking out. Never run a nitro without blades on it. You can idle it, but don't spool it out. Uh, the reason for that is uh, people tend to say that it can kind of run away. It can run at a higher RPM than it should. Um, if you're running governed, that's less of a concern as long as it's on the governor at the time. Um, and then that just don't like to run it without that kind of resistance as well. 
Um, but if you're just idling it, it shouldn't be a problem. But yeah, I, I can say just idling and making sure the clutch is functioning, starting to grab would be okay. But revving it up is never good on them. Like just over revving it like that. Yeah. You remember those wiffle ball blades they used to make, Kenny? Yeah. Yeah. They do these like metal sticks that are like six inches long with a, a wiffle ball on either end. And it was to create air resistance. So you could spool up your nitro at home without blades on it. Crazy. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. So it's okay to idle it at home. So if I want to just make sure the, the motor runs, I can idle it. I could maybe click in to idle up just super briefly just to see the clutch engage and then immediately dump out and just kind of check my throttle cut and hold and idle and all that. But that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I don't think it's as much of a concern as people think. I think the fear and panic came from the old days of flying V curves. And, you know, if you're idling at, you know, 50, 53% throttle, um, take the blades off it and put 53% throttle, you'll be damn near redline on that thing, like just absolutely flying on RPM because there's no resistance. Um, but I think now the days of governors and stuff, it's not as, not as bad. Okay. So working towards this first start, what do we do with the needles? How do we make sure they're in the right spot? <laughs> YS or OS? Both. Starts uh -huh. with the giggle. <laughs> <laughs> if it's YS, ignore the shit out of the manual. <laughs> Dude, just throw it away. Yeah, two and a half turns out on both needles and start from there. OS, follow that manual like a Bible. So, what does two and a half out mean? Out from where? Oh, geez. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you want to always thread the needles as far as you can. Don't like torque them or over tighten them because um, you could damage the seat that the needle's going into. But just, you know, thread them in. You'll feel it close. And then you're going to go out a certain number of turns from there. So a single turn isn't like, you know, touch the needle and turn a little bit. It's a full revolution. So you're going to find the tick mark on the needle and you're going to turn it so it does two full revolutions and then half a turn for a YS on two and a half turns out. Um, but whenever you see a number in the, uh, the manual for default needle settings, it's going to be, you know, 1.5, 1, 2, 2.5. And, and that's referencing those full turns from seated. Cool. All right. So we got our needle set. We got fuel in the tank. We've plumbed it correctly. What's the correct procedure for starting a brand new motor the first time? Do you prime it in some way? Is there anything we need to do before we try and start it? You want to run through that, Kenny? Then I'll, I'll see what I do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, first time, um, they're both a little different. I mean, if it's non-regulated, you can pinch the pipe and creates back pressure, which sometimes will help prime the engine to you basically either, either engine you're running any type you want to just first watch to see that the, if it's a regulated also, if it's pulling fuel from the line, from the tank to the carburetor, that's the first sign. You know, if it's not pulling that after, you know, a minute or so of cranking, then, you know, you've got the diaphragms too stuck and dry from the factory, which sometimes happens like the diaphragm just has never had any liquid in it and it won't pull any until it gets some. So some people have had to take them apart or drop some fuel in there through the opening, you know, one way or another to get that started. Um, but if you get the fuel, you know, primed, usually just idling and, you know, giving it just a sl slight amount of throttle with the glow igniter on, it'll fire up unless you're having delivery issues like that. Okay. Scott? Uh, my thing is usually send the fuck out of it. And No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if I have a brand new motor, 
Um, typically what I'll do is the first time I run it, I want to try and get fuel into it quickly. So if I'm feeling super OCD, I'll squirt a little in the back plate before that way I get some of the oil in there and I know it's not going to be, um, you know, running dry at all. Um, some people may argue that might help break in, but I don't really want to break in my crankshaft and conrod pushing. So, um, I'll just squirt some liquid in there, make sure it's a little wet and it's got a, a little tiny bit of viscosity in there to, to keep it from grinding. Um, and then what I'll do is when I turn it over, I'll turn it over without, um, without spark first. So I'll put full throttle on, I'll keep the glow igniter off and then I'll, I'll run it for a couple seconds just to try and get fuel to pull through the lines. I'll watch the line, see what goes through it. And you can kind of hear an audible difference when it starts to get fuel into it. Um, so once it's at that point, I know that I'm not, I don't have a dry motor, probably not going to destroy it. Just running it dry. Um, I'll turn on glow. And then I'll start to fire it and I'll run it for maybe, you know, a second, let go, a second, let go. If I'm having starting issues, if it burps and fires right over, cool. Um, but I don't like to hold it for a really long duration trying to get it to start because it just eats the shit out of your starter and it's not good for things. Um, and normally at that point, it'll fire off. It'll start to idle. Um, I'll immediately try and get it to idle well. Um, a lot of people say don't touch the needles for idle. Uh, I ignore the hell out of that. I make it idle the way I want, make it idle nice. Um, and then I'll leave it at stock needle set settings and I'll usually pick it up to a hover and then just go for, you know, very light, light flying for the first, like half a tank kind of putting around. Do you want me to go into like what I do after that and like what I do for break-in or do you want to make Yeah, that's first? actually my kind of very next <laughs> questions are, okay, it's running, yeah. we spool it up, get it in a hover, then what? Yep. So I'll fly around just, you know, very mild sport flying, mostly because I want to make sure the motor is somewhat reliable. I don't want to start whomping on it or doing any maneuvers that would suck if I had lost motor. So I'm just building my own confidence at this point for about half a tank, make sure that I trust it's not going to just cut out on me. Um, I'll try and keep the RPM somewhat low. I'm not going to go straight to like bank three and go crazy. Um, but about halfway through the tank, I'll pop into, <clears throat> you know, bank, bank two or idle up one for spectrum kind of stuff. Um, and then I'll start doing very mild 3D um, just trying to get some heat into it. Um, cause you really want to like heat the motor and cool the motor and heat the motor and cool the motor. And it's really hard to get it to kind of heat, um, when it's super rich. So I'll start to tune it in and lean it a little bit. Um, at least on the high end within a tank or two, like the first tank is going to be just light sport and 3d second tank. I'll do whatever I can in bank two. Uh, as stock needle settings, it'll be super boggy and stuff, but it'll get through and I'll work on it a little bit. Tank three, I'll start turning those needles in, um, trying to get some heat into the motor, but I'll keep the mid very rich still. Um, I only want to really mess with the high needle. Um, so that way I can do some stuff, <clears throat> get some heat into the motor and like a big power loop or something, come round and then cool it down into an idle back to med medium needle settings, get the motor looped up again, get everything cooled off and then go fire into another maneuver and get it hot again on the high needle and do those those pressure cycles or temperature cycles, sorry. Um, I'll do that for maybe two tanks, and then it's game on. Like, let's start leaning for power at that point and start flying it like you want to fly it. Cool. My, Kenny, my, my approach is a little Yeah, my approach is a little different. I mean, it's that's the same steps I'll take a little after a few flights. Like, I have to get to that point. 
I trust my first few Nitro flights like a uh, shady guy on the street corner kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to, I just picture boom supports coming off and, you know, everything can happen with the vibrations. So I take it like three steps, you know, at a time. I'll do like he said, you know, you take a, your first flight, do just a minute. I do like half, less than half of the tank, probably two minutes, two and a half minutes on my first flight. And I set my throttle. So my motor is only going like 60, 70%. You know, I just run it two thirds of the way up at the most, you know, just to let it get warmed up and the same thing, land it, you know, and, and the first thing I'm doing is I actually shut it off so it can cycle the temperature the first time. And, and I'm not, there's a few things you have to look at. You're first looking to see if swash balls are backing out or anything else like your tail rods coming off because vibrations are going to show up, you know, parts coming loose are going to show up real fast if you just built this nitro, you know? So after you've inspected everything, making sure nothing's coming loose, you know, before you even take your second flight, OS especially, you want to look at the um, regulator because those back off a lot. They can, they just, I don't know if you guys have had this happen, but they'll just turn out and come loose and fall off, you know. The carb too. I've had like three mm-hmm. 55 carbs come off. Yeah, you just, it, it's something, you, it only happen usually if you got them snug, you know, even the regulator itself. If you snug that even correctly sometimes, just the heat cycles, it'll just start spinning. And you'll, you'll if you don't notice it, then you'll be up in the air and then either the motor shuts out or shuts off or it'll start, you know, leaning and acting weird on you. So you have to land it and you'll, you won't know what's going on. Then you'll look down and see it falling off or it'll have already lost your needle. So you have to check that stuff. Don't fly. I mean, it's not a good idea really to fly a full tank first flight ever. Just do a short flight, land it, make sure everything's good. Check your bolts, check the, the regulator for sure for coming loose. Even your glow plug, because the first few heat cycles, your glow plug, I've shot so many glow plugs out of 105s. They'll just fly right out the front after, you know, a few times, especially if you get them warm, you know, real quick. And just making sure that stuff's snug the first few short flights is critical. If you do a few two-minute flights like that, two or three in a row, then you'll feel more confident about it and know that it's good to go for a long time. That sounds like the approach I'll favor. I'm a little more cautious than Scott. Yeah, you, you can't trust. Right. you can't trust it because... You can do it right. Like you can, I've put the regulators on right so many times and have them come loose within the first few flights. And it, and it can happen on the 55. It can happen on the 105, anything. I've even had the, the, the YSs, the back bolts that hold your carburetor on can come loose too, you know, on the back plate that it actually goes through your motor to hold the carb on. Yeah, true. And, and again, muffler. So, yep, the buffer will fall off. Yeah, it just starts sounding weird, real, real lean. That's a good subject to go over probably too. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you cover it too, but, uh, as far as stuff coming loose on the engine, make sure you tighten it while it's hot. Obviously be super careful because, uh, <clears throat> it's hot. Um, the same <laughs> <with> the <muffler>. <laughs> <laughs> unless you want a tattoo. <laughs> yeah. But if you're tightening your pipe, do it when it's hot, tightening your head down, glow plug, um, carburetor, everything, do it when it's hot. Um, cause if you let it cool and tighten it, you're not going to get the same kind of tightening, uh, you know, clamp force on it and everything that the metal's not going to be full in the same way or expanded. Um, so yeah, do it, do it while it's warm. What about fly barless tuning, right? So obviously when you're, when an engine is more rich, it will, at least if I understand this right, tend to introduce more vibrations into the frame than when it's tuned properly, like all the way there. So do we do much fly barless tuning these first few flights? Do we pretty much ignore it as long as it's not doing anything catastrophic? And then, slowly dig into that once we get the engine a little better tuned? How does that work? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm sure Kenny has his own way too, but I usually only notice a major problem with the tail. You'll get a lot of tail wag and tail shake and shit like that when it's rich. Same, um, yeah. Yeah, but the head, I've never really had a, a noticeable difference between rich and, and lean or whatever or running right on the head. So normally I'll just ignore major issues till I know that the motor's where I want it within like 10%. Um, same with governor tuning. If your governor is acting really dumb, do not start messing with P gains and I gains and, and everything with the governor until you know the engine's tuned in right and broken in because it can just wreak havoc on it and then your settings will be all out of whack when the motor's running well. Yeah, all else fails. You can actually just set up one of your different uh, banks, like your two or three bank to be no governor and just run like a straight 70 or 80% throttle just to see if it's staying steady and make sure it's you know, confirm if it is a governor issue or not. It might just be the motor running too lean or too rich. Awesome. Cool. I like it. Uh, is there anything tuning-wise that becomes different on a nitro? So not tuning the engine, but flybarless tuning. Is, is there anything you do differently than the way you tune an electric helicopter uh, on the flybarless? There's a little more to it. Yeah, the you know electric, you can get away with a lot more because there's very fine, small... Uh, vibrations but on a nitro everything's so erratic you know that that it's harder to, to tune the nitro head and the tail you know you, you can get it to a point but you really you need to make sure all your mechanical stuff's there first you know you can't always just totally blame the clutches out of balance or it could be a lot of things you know so you have to kind of narrow it down by watching stuff if you're having vibration issues that would be you know anything on a nitro is going to make your servos want to create airlon, you know, cyclic or anything shakes because it reacts to everything. You know, just if you have a flybarless unit in your hand, you can see how, how sensitive they are and, and they try to cancel some of that out, but you still have to kind of understand what's inducing the vibrations before you can really tune one correctly. Yeah, uh, it makes and, a lot of sense. And then I've got a caveat too, which is the way I tune. Um, against the two electric versus nitro electric i find myself able to push it much harder and much more aggressive into maneuvers so head stability and head gain are a lot harder to get right on an electric for me because they have the power to push past certain uh, i don't know like blade angles and pitch and aggressiveness to where it can really upset the stability of the helicopter just because it has all that power where you never really get to push a nitro to the same level just because it doesn't have those power levels. So typically for me, the head is a lot easier to tune on a nitro and it's usually pretty solid um, with somewhat stock settings on at least a Neo um, just for the fact that I'm not pushing them as hard um, as far as you know cyclic and collective input at the same time. And if you do push it that hard, usually the head speed decays so much to the point that it doesn't have weird tendencies like electrics do. Yeah, you're less, you're, you're basically, it, you're flying it and not worrying about chasing the small stuff. Um, on Nitro, what it can end up being is people are trying to compensate. Like, they'll see it shaking or doing something, and they'll be like, oh, let's raise the gain. Well, you don't really necessarily, your opposite is the better on Nitro, because the more gain is more sensitivity to the vibrations, too. So your first step, if you have issues, is to lower the gain slightly and see if that gets rid of some of your any issues you have in the beginning with us, you know, when you first take off your nitro, if you're having, you know, you've got your motor tuned and everything, but you, if you're having any issues from that point, like tail bouncing or wiggling, 
you want to try to narrow it down by going the opposite way. Just lower the gains to where you're taking the the fly barless unit out of the equation. And it's, you know, the servos are working on their own more than just being told there's a, you know, something forcing it in the wrong direction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if in doubt, just add hot glue. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, come on. We got to get a few digs in. Uh, no, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. Like just the other day, a guy had a servo that was um, acting weird, and I, I recommended that to him. I said, the first thing you want to do is eliminate the, you know, the, the gyro chip from the equation, you know, because if you touch the helicopter, it's going to move all servos and they can twitch, or if you're pulling up. So if it's on the ground, you can you know, leave the blades on it, whatever, turn your gain down, and just either take the blades off or not, whatever you feel comfortable with, and turn the gain down low enough where the gyro is not interacting. You can see if you have a servo issue, too, or you can leave it sitting there, you know, and just pull on the servos individually and see if one's acting crazy on its own because you never want the, the, the flybarless unit to be doing anything if you have any kind of, you know, flight issues or anything. Yeah. So speaking of these vibrations, so obviously a, a nitro or a gasser is going to vibrate more than an electric, but when is, when is it too much? So how do we know? Like, I know Scott talked a little bit about tail behavior being an obvious sign. Are there... Is there anything vibration-wise we should be kind of paying attention to in these early flights, or do we kind of ignore it until we sort of get the motor broken in a little more? Uh, uh, when do we start paying attention, and, and what are you know signs something's wrong? When your tail fin is blurred, and your <laughs> tail boom supports, if you got them, are blurred yeah. as well, and you hear really weird uh, vibration resonance noises, like like weird hums. tail rod vibrating kind of yeah. sounds sometimes. Yep. Yes, yeah, so I have um, like. I've noticed a lot of these newer helicopters that don't have boom supports, you'll have more flex on the tail boom when you take off. Like almost all of them will do either a circular motion or left and right, a little bit of a wag. And that's kind of natural when it's in the low, maybe three to 600 RPM range when you're taking off. And that should disappear, you know, once you're up in a hover and you're up in the 12 to 1500, you know, or, or higher range, it should totally go away and you shouldn't really have any harmonics. I mean, some will still have that tail rod vibration like he's speaking about, but, um, Another thing I noticed too is that if you have too much, and I think it narrows down to belt tension. Like I've had some without boom supports that if I loosen the belt tension on the tail, it actually performs smoother. I think the tension itself is causing some of that up and down or left and right resonance too that, that'll show up. Interesting. Yeah, it That's makes cool. sense. Almost like playing it like a string in there it, when it's it too does. Tight. Yeah, and it causes its own feedback by the where the the belts twist in there they're actually flopping up and down and and I, it maybe the tired tension just creates a higher harmonic level and makes it worse like a feedback yeah yeah all right so let's go let's go back to the engine for a minute here so i think we are going to do a future episode about tuning so i don't want to turn this into like a, a full-blown tuning conversation but just briefly if we're going in alone right we don't have a, someone who's experienced with nitro it's our first nitro engine you know it's just us are there any sort of like safe ways to quickly, I don't want to say quickly tune, but to sort of safely start working our way leaner uh, when you don't have any experience, you, you don't know what it's necessarily supposed to sound like, but just some, some good best practices from those starting needle settings to, to get a little more power out of the helicopter after a few flights uh, for someone with no help. You mind if I run through this first? Because that's right how I learned. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I watched a ton of videos to learn how to tune, try and get the sound, try and listen to it. And 
It's the biggest lie in the planet. You can't hear a lean engine on a video on the internet through your iPhone. It just doesn't work. <laughs> so you're, you're watching all these videos about uh, what was one of the popular ones, a heli freak one with Tim Jones tuning a OS 91 or whatever. And they're shooting up in the air and they're talking about the sound. It all sounds makes. the same. I saw yeah. that. <laughs> and then he stops and you see the smoke and they're like, yeah, see how the smoke puffed. And then they do it again. They're like, yeah, see how the smoke cut out. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't see shit. Um, it, it's really, really hard to figure out. Um, don't tune off smoke because different fuels smoke different amounts. Um, and don't panic if you don't see smoke. Like if you fly and the throttle's at 100%, then it cuts to 50 or below. The smoke's going to cut out a little bit. It's not going to stay the same because your throttle opening just cut off substantially. Like it's So it's not a good rule of thumb. But if you see smoke, you're probably doing okay. Um, but the most surefire way that I knew what I was doing was temperature. Not a temp sensor on the motor or anything like that. Just real basic, easy-to-do backplate temperature. So... The idea is do stock needle settings, fly around, land, and as quickly as you can, get it spooled down and go touch the back plate. Don't cut the motor. If you cut the engine, it's going to heat soak and get really hot because uh, you no longer have fuel running through it, so it's not going to be the right temperature. If you wait too long, it's going to cool off anyway because the idle is running and the fuel's running through it, cooling it down. So um, try and get there as quick as you can. I'm talking like flying, 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 bring it in, hit hold, Touch the skids on the ground, slow the blades down, three, four, five, six, walk up, slow them down, touch the back plate. Like you got to get in there pretty quick. Um, so, you know, practice touching the head and getting the blades to slow down for you quickly so you can get in and touch the, uh, the back plate. But your ideal temperature is like touching the side of a ceramic coffee cup, um, you know, with coffee in it. it. It should last about maybe three seconds before your hand starts to go. Yeah, it's starting to get hot. I kind of might want to take my finger off here after, you know, maybe a couple more seconds and I want to pull my finger off. Um, you shouldn't burn yourself and you shouldn't be able to hold your finger there indefinitely. If you are making enough power and you could keep your finger in the middle of the back plate, cool. It's actually, you know, it's, it's running rich and you're making enough power. The only downside is you're wasting money and fuel and it's very expensive. But if it's doing what you want and it's running that, that rich, badass. You're not going to ever blow a motor. Um, but you'll notice as you progress and start flying harder, or if you're already very proficient with electric and you're moving to nitro, you're going to want more power out of it. So you're going to want to push it to the point that it feels like that kind of coffee cup temperature. Um, one thing to keep in mind, don't touch the outside of the back plate. You know how the back plate's recessed. Um, the outside of that's going to be hot. Don't just touch the cap and the side. Uh, it's going to be hot as balls. You got to go right up into the inside where the con rod is and touch the inside of the back plate or the, the flat surface of the back plate of the motor. Uh, and that should be about that temperature. Uh, Cause that's like, you know, the internal part of your crankcase uh, that you're really measuring. Don't touch the head. It's going to be hot as shit. Don't touch the outside of the case again, hot as shit. Um, but it's a real easy way to get in, check it, no extra equipment needed, no laser temperature reader, bullshit, no numbers, uh, just general feel and what it does. Um, <clears throat> and as you start doing that, you'll hear, what it sounds like when it's cold. You'll hear what it sounds like when it starts to warm up to that temperature. And then hopefully you'll hear it when it gets too hot because you'll probably, you know, overshoot it at least once or twice in your life um, to the point where you start to go, that sounds different. Let me bring it down and touch it. And you bring it down and it's hot as shit. It's like a hot pocket in your yeah, mouth. Yeah, it starts to make like a tapping or pinging noise or it's raspy sounding. Yeah. 
And there's one, there's one sound that I could hear early on that I don't know if I can explain it well, but I'll try. There's a point when you're leaning it out where all of a sudden it sounds like a harmonic, almost like, I want to say like Chewbacca-esque, but it sounds like when you're <laughs> yeah. tuning a guitar and when you're off note, it sounds weird. But when you get it tuned in to the point it actually has a nice, you know, you've hit the right note, you're tuned in. It's got that weird harmonic where it kind of hums a different way and it sounds a different way. It's very smooth, yeah. almost quieter. Um, that's when you're getting real close to the sweet spot when the nitro starts to sound quieter and really harmonic. You know you're right in that good spot. Sometimes when I get to that spot, I back it out. One click on the needle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if I'm not safe. going for it, yeah, same. <laughs> uh, if I'm not at an event and I'm just flying by myself, exactly. I'll get it to that nice harmonic and I'll go, ah, you know, I'll go a little rich because I don't need it on the, the rivet, you know. Another thing I do with the temperature stuff, I do the same thing, but I'll, you know, if you can't do like power loops, like doing full loops in the air to put a lot of load on the blades, you can just do climbs, you know, go straight up in the air, come back down a few times. Sometimes it'll show up lean by just when you're dropping real fast, you'll hear it pinging and over revving too much if it's way too lean. Um, but just a few climbs, you know, for a minute and a half, two minutes, just doing some different stuff that would stress the, you know, put some torque on the engine and then come in and land it in a short time too, within a few minutes to check that temperature and then go back up. And then if you get it to the point, like Scott said, with the tuning is good, even then two thirds through some of your later on flights, you should come in you know, three and a half, four minutes and check the temperature again because the tuning changes. Sometimes the motors get a lot hotter later on in the flight when the fuel's running out. It just depends on the motor and, and how it's running and everything. But but you might end up close at a good point in the beginning of the flight and it's too lean two more minutes into the flight, you know. Yeah. It'll show up. Yeah, that's a really good point too. Like, <clears throat> uh, like, like Kenny said, when the tank especially gets if you're beating empty, on it or something, yeah. At the end of the flight, you might just be almost melting it down. <laughs> you yeah. never know. And if you fly hard, like say you're the electric guy I'm talking about, that's you know really seasoned at flying, and you could push a helicopter, you're going to want to start your flight rich. And as you start to beat on it, it's going to get to like the real sweet spot about halfway to three quarters of the way through your flight when you're really making power and it's really light. And then once you're at the last portion, last couple minutes of your flight, it's going to really start leaning out quite a bit as your clunk comes out the fuel. Uh, occasionally, it'll come out and it'll pull in a little bit more air just slightly and it'll start to lean. Um, and you don't want to make it to the point that you were perfect at the beginning, starting it lean in the mid. And now that you're in it to win it and really beating the shit out of this helicopter, it's starting to lean out even more on its own. That's usually how you cook an engine. And I think I actually have like a, a mod fix for this, but this will be one of your guys' future episodes, possibly. <laughs> cool. Right on. Man, this is all good stuff. I'm just quietly soaking it all up. So Something I've been working on lately that's actually working really well. Ooh. Very simple. Sure. Let me guess. Double check valves. <laughs> Something along those lines. <laughs> oh, well, let's keep it simple for this episode and beginner focus. That sounds... Yeah. Uh, a little fancy right now. Uh, okay, so we've survived our first few flights. Everything's going great. Are there any initial, so not end of the day, but we finish a flight shutdown procedures for nitros that are not obvious? Obviously, you land, you hit throttle cut so that the, the motor stops. Is there anything else you're supposed to do at the end of the flight? Wipe off the uh, slime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, mainly it's just I just make sure my receiver stuff's all unhooked, everything. Um, clean it up and make sure that um, 
same thing, go over your same checks, you know, make sure everything's still tight and connected and ready to go for the next flight, you know. Scott might have something different that he can think of at the moment. Yeah, if we're talking between flights, um, I pop my check pressure valve. That way I dump the pressure out of the tank because sometimes it leaches through your regulator slowly. Um, so you finish a flight, you forget to depressurize your tank, you put it on the bench for 10 or 15 minutes between flights, <clears throat> you come back to it and there's a puddle under your helicopter. because yeah, the it pressure will build up again. Yeah, the, it just pushes the remaining fuel out the tank through your carb and it floods it out, which is a pain in the ass. So um, just psh, let it go. I usually leave it undone because it doesn't matter. And I need it undone when I fuel it anyway. That way I don't forget. Just make it a habit. Um, if I'm done for the day, this is so controversial and everyone has their own thing that they like to do for storing their nitro. But I, I go back and forth between giving a shit and knowing I'm going to go fly it tomorrow or a couple days later. So it doesn't really matter too much. But um, <clears throat> I'll typically burn the fuel out the, the engine. So I'll start it until it runs and then I'll pinch a line and I'll let it run out and then I'll try and start it again. Just to make sure it's got no fuel in the engine, I'll close the carb and then put the piston to top dead center. That way it closes the exhaust port for the most part. Um, it's still open technically to air to the uh, crankcase, but whatever, it's good enough. Um, and then also what I like to do uh, is I'll leave a little bit of fuel in the tank if I'm running a foam clunk. So I'll fill it up past the, um, the rubber grommet. That way the grommet doesn't dry out and it stays kind of submerged in fuel. Um, <clears throat> so that's a regulated engine. If I have an unregulated engine, what I do is the same kill procedure with the motor. Start it so it runs out of fuel. Um, try and start it with no fuel. Make sure it's totally cleaned out. And then what I like to do is fill the tank up all the way to the top to push all of the air out. Because that exhaust back pressure is what really eats away at your clunk line and everything. Um, that evacuates all the, uh, exhaust gases out the tank and then I'll drain it down to about halfway or so, um, to either keep the rubber grommet, uh, submerged that way it doesn't dry out and to keep the felt clunk submerged too. Cause those felt clunks, you got to make sure they're, they're wet before you try and fly it. So even a new one, they want you to fill it up with fuel and let it sit for 15 minutes to let that clunk really absorb the fuel into it. So yeah, never, it never leave a felt clunk dry. Yeah, same thing. I just leave like a third of a tank in most of my helicopters because any any amount of fuel in there will just keep the line and everything else from degrading faster. It'll last a lot longer. Some of the guys that drain them completely, you know, they're going to be changing their fuel line all the time, and you can go two or three years with the same line if you don't uh, leave it dry. Okay. So that's at the end of the day. Uh, what about if you're going out of town for a month? So my you know business travel schedule is often... Uh, in waves. So if I'm going to be out of town for five weeks before I'm going to get to fly the nitro again, is there anything different I should do at the end of the day? I use a fogging oil in mine. Like um, some of the models, if I can get to it easy, I drill a hole like a small three thirty seconds hole in my um, fan shroud in the front of the helicopter, like on the SAB and the stuff you can do it on the corners, you know, and, and you have to drill the hole lined up with your carburetor opening. But you can use a straw then, one of those, you know, four-inch uh, spray can straws. And um, I use Stabil fogging oil, which is made for, like, you know, outboard engines and stuff like that, meat eaters, whatever. And I tested this stuff before. You could lay it on – I took old crank bearings that were rusted, and I would lay it in, the, in that oil for a long time. And the rust literally dissolves off the bearings, like, over time. It, just, it eats the rust off, and it prevents it, and, it, and it's a really slick oil that sticks to the bearings, and it sticks to everything in there, so it's – not harming anything. I actually 
even laid rubber in the test tray that I had with um, um, Viton and some other different rubbers, like plain rubber, and it didn't damage any of the rubbers that I used just to see if it was a safe oil to use. But if you can open your carburetor opening, you spray it directly down in there and crank the engine just a few short cranks, and it's lubing the whole engine and preventing you know rust from forming while it sits there long periods of time. Okay, cool. Um, what about, so obviously, you know, we could go on a debate about people who clean their nitros and savages like Tom Shin, who just let the thing drip right into the back of his car. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but like, is there anything you do to your car to protect it from nitro? Like something you put down under the helicopter when you transport it? Um, is it not really a big deal? Do you store it somewhere different in the house? Like, is it going to drip and you want to keep it away from carpet or is it going to stain concrete or like what are the stuff that nitro noobs do and then regret later when they have this stain that will stay forever (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one i mean i i I leave mine on concrete or on something all the time anyway and it will drip some here and there um if you use a exhaust plug that helps some but you'll still get drips on the bottom of the crank case sometimes it's just came from the carburetor or anything on your landing skids that you didn't wipe off so, yeah, leaving something, I mean, the paper towel is not going to work because it'll just soak right through it. So you still have to leave it on a good surface that you don't want to damage that's protected, you know, even if you were just putting a tray under it, as simple as that. But like in my car, I actually take a packing blanket with me all the time and I cover the helicopters with it, you know, if you're out somewhere anyway. And there's one underneath of them also. So when mine are traveling, they're on a junk blanket basically on purpose, you know, so if they drip, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that makes a yeah. lot of sense. What about if you have like all weather car mats? Does nitro wash off of those things or does it kind of stain them forever? Good for them. It's rough. <laughs> <laughs> they like it. Yeah. No, I've got those uh, rhino liner things, I think they're called or whatever. Yeah. The, not rhino liner, but weather, weather tank. Weather guard, weather, weather guard. Yeah. And honestly, the nitro makes them look fucking beautiful because it oils <laughs> them up and makes them nice and clean when you wipe them off. Um, but yeah, uh, it does drip everywhere. Like Kenny said, it'll it'll screw up a nice table. So lacquer on the table, any kind of dyes or uh, what do you call it, stain in your wood on your table, gone. It'll strip all that off. Uh, if you fly an SAB that's painted and you leave the exhaust on it, um, it's going to eat the fuel that eat the paint off of it, make it flake and peel and everything inside your canopy, outside your canopy. So yeah, some of the decals and, can get dissolved that way too or wrinkled up. So you have to kind of wipe around those areas with yeah. some degreaser while you're cleaning. Or isopropyl alcohol is a really good option. Um, <clears throat> uh, the glossy ones don't do it so much. So if you got a black nitro, the inside of the canopy paint will come off, but the outside's pretty stable. Um, but the matte colored stuff tends to struggle a little bit with nitro. Like Kenny said, this, anywhere there's stickers, they'll start to wrinkle and wither and come off. Um, if you fly like a Synergy or something or a Tron or anything that, um, you know, is mostly just metal or a raw nitro, I guess, um, yeah, it's really pretty bulletproof. You can leave it oily and soupy. It doesn't matter. The reason I bring that up is because it's not a terrible idea uh, to just stick it in a trash bag if you're driving at home or storing it somewhere and you just don't want to deal with the mess. Like you can take the trash bag off and throw it away. In no one piece deal. or in multiple pieces, right? Exactly, yeah. It helps, <laughs> <Over for, bits. laughs> yeah. helps for high-velocity landings, too. Um, but yeah, uh, if you have the painted style, so let's say you have a Nitro Kraken and you trash bag it, you kiss your paint job goodbye. That's going to be screwed up in like at one or two flying trips. Um, but if you're flying something that's more pod and boom, maybe a raw, something like that, and you trash bag it, 
no big deal. It's not going to hurt much. But definitely, it, anywhere that stuff drips or drip, and it gets all over the place, it'll destroy whatever it gets on. Be it carpet, concrete, drywall, anything. It'll stain it. Yeah, I've been Ew. the victim of a few half gallons dumped in the back of my car before different cars. Oh, it's oh no. You have it's to really pull bad the and clean under it and suck it out with like, you got to spray it with degreaser and suck it out with a vacuum multiple times. And you can usually oh. clean it up, but it takes like three or four passes over it with cleaners and vacuums oh, and stuff to get it out. Um, my shit's insured. I just light it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Upgrade. Oh. <laughs> that was awesome, guys. This feels like a pretty good primer into like, you know, firing the thing up for the first time um, and, and kind of getting into your first nitro. Is there anything? Because obviously I wrote all these questions as someone who has no idea what I'm talking about. Are there any topics I didn't cover you think that would be beneficial on your first uh, Maiden on a Nitro? Troubleshooting. Well, that'll be a whole episode, I'm yeah. sure. Like, it doesn't start on day one. Where do you start? <laughs> but that, that is a whole episode. <laughs> Connections, mix in with tuning. Yeah. Like, see, on a Nitro, I mean, you got that extra wire, you know, for your governor, so you're taking up a plug on your all your flybrowless units. And, um, I mean, that's most of the time it's like a 5-volt plug that you can't really input, but you only have so many spaces, so you definitely you, know, you got more vibrations. Make sure you have two power leads going in whichever channel you have spare, like Servo 4 or Aux 2, 3, whatever you have. Use two power leads at all times. You know, Make yourself a harness from like a XT30 or you know, whatever you have, EC3 to you know, a bigger wire down to two smaller, either Servo leads or 22-gauge um, uh, JSTs is what I use. I just run them down to those and then you can hot glue them in or use silicone something like that always do it on nitro because the vibes will be the first thing that pulls your single power input or anything else out too yeah that cool. would suck don't really want to yeah. run away nitro <laughs> <laughs> yeah i usually wait till like after the maiden on an electric helicopter to like hot glue all the connections and all that but i feel like with the nitro you do that first it's definitely a good safety uh I mean, a lot of guys do run one plug and just plug it in, but it's, I just don't trust that, you know, setup. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm equally suspicious of all things. Uh, you know, anytime you can reduce a point of failure, it's a, it's a good approach. Scott, what about you? Anything you want to add? No, other than the fact, like you said, reduce point of failures, don't run switches, uh, redundant power cables, like you said. Look it over on a regular basis for wires chafing sides of carbon because there is more vibration than electric by a long shot. So when you're building it and routing it, make sure anywhere it goes past anything that could remotely be sharp, that it's got maybe some Velcro around it with a zip tie, something like that. Um, and like we said in the build video, don't do it fuzzy side in. Don't put shrink, uh, you know, Chinese finger trap stuff on it. Um, whatever that's called, <laughs> that's probably not the right way to say that, but uh, you know what I'm talking loom. about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wire loom. <laughs> um, as a kid, I always called it Chinese finger trap stuff. Like, I guess, cause my dad called it that, but I know exactly I, what you meant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, pay attention to that stuff. Uh, things backing out, things getting loose, uh, read the gray ooze. Anywhere there's gray ooze, there's something coming loose and it's vibrating and wearing itself out. And the oil's getting in from the nitro and it's creating this gray-black gunk. So anywhere that it's gunky and black, there's something loose. Go look at it. Yeah, sometimes, I was yeah. going to say it too, sometimes you'll get that on your tail shaft and your main shaft and that's kind of natural. You do just wipe it off and keep an eye on it. It might just be 
you know, the slime and the vibration where the, the slider is and stuff, you'll get that anyway from the swash ball also. But that's you're going to get that anytime, and it's just extra lube for those parts. But anything else on the frame or anything you're seeing is definitely got an issue. Like your, if you got tail supports, you might actually have like the the fin clamp or something spinning, or you know that happens a lot on uh, boom supports. You'll have it vibrating or twisting sideways on you from the vibration. Definitely lock tight that three times over. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. Well, right on, guys. Thanks for for walking me through that. I'm feeling. Uh... Extra excited to start the build tomorrow. Actually, it'll be the first day on it. Uh, maybe tonight we'll see how I feel. Uh, and I'm excited. You know, we'll see. I, I might finish the build at Dragonfly and maybe Maiden it this weekend. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm not putting any pressure on myself. But either way, I feel uh, ready to take it on for sure. So thanks, Kenny, for coming on. You know, we really appreciate you. Uh, I have one more in with to add, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. No, I don't I just, mind at all. I Go just ahead. out of a subject that kind of gets looked over when you're building a Nitro, like... Uh, it's more critical, like on an electric, you can just slide the motor back and forth. On the nitros, some of them don't really have much adjustment. You have like a little shim behind the motor or something when you're bolting the motor in. So your pinion will usually line up correctly with the main gear, but you might have the clutch feeling like it's rubbing when you're spinning it with the um, starter shaft. So you want to make sure on all nitros, if you can get it to a smooth point when you're building it, like either take the steps of loosening the top um, starter shaft side bolts on your frame and then you know kind of can rock that forward and backward just a tiny little bit to manipulate it to where you feel that the starter shaft is spinning super easy and that's where you'd want to tighten that at because you really don't want that to have a lot of friction because it'll still run but the friction can actually cause other issues like vibrations again or it can cause the actual starter shaft to shear off if you were to hit the ground even just a slight hit sometimes that if it's got pressure already on it you know, it can cause other failures, it cause vibrations and lots of small issues if you can't get that the motor aligned vertically with the, the all the shafts in line with each other, basically. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, too. It's amazing how you wouldn't think of so many of these things, but as soon as you hear it said out loud, you're like, that totally makes sense. Like, yeah, like, oh. I've had some models so where I've actually had to loosen, like if there's no slotted spots on the motor mount on the, where it bolts into the actual carbon on the frame i've actually had to slot those a little bit to move it just a tiny bit one way or the other you know forward backward or up or down whatever it needs but sometimes you got to do your modeling skills you know in that at that point and just decide does this feel right you know if you're spinning that top shaft and it's super hard to spin then it's not built correctly and you shouldn't try flying it because you're going to have issues starting it because it's going to want to just lock up because the bearings are grabbing at the top so you have to try to play with that you know whole setup there in line and when you get it right you'll feel it because the top starter shaft will spin pretty freely cool good to know we'll definitely check for that scott any last details from you you good i think we're good i mean we covered a lot um you know we were starting to get into other subjects i feel with tuning and troubleshooting and kenny went into the build a little bit and stuff he looks for but i feel like as far as plop the heli down on the table at the field and get her in the air. We covered most of the basics. Other than everything that goes with an electric still applies to a nitro. Like we said early on, check your directions, check your servo directions, check your throttle directions. Um, <clears throat> and another like safety thing is when you're starting it, listen to it. Um, especially when you're starting a new engine and you turn it over, it'll sound a certain way. It'll maybe fire over. You'll click into idle up and it'll go... 
And a lot of guys at that point will get really pissed. They'll pick it up, take it to the bench, turn on the glow and hit it again. But it's in idle up governor mode at this point and you'll get a hot start. So you'll notice A, when you try and start it, it's going to sound a little different. It's going to be a lot deeper sound. So carb closed is high pitched. Carb open is a very deep, you know, kind of noise. Um, pay attention to that. Look at your radio. See if it has a throttle opening and the thing. I know V-Bar has a little window at the bottom that shows you how much your throttle is open. And then always just tilt your head around and go look at the throttle. Uh, make sure it's closed or in the idle idle position because when you're in that mindset of why the fuck won't this thing turn over? Why is it dying on me? Sometimes you forget. And then you hot start it and you get a blade to the face and it sucks. Oof. Yeah, I'm in the yeah. same yeah, position. I was going to no, say that's... that um, you have, uh, like, like if you're trying to, you know, take off, don't just fire it up and take off at first, you know, when you're on the bench before you're going to fly it or at the field. Confirm that your um, soft start, if you're using it, is working. If that's what your plan is to take off the first time with a soft start, you know, leave it shut off and then flip it into your idle or, you know, um, bank one or two and watch the servo move slowly. It should go gradually to increase the throttle because if that's going to jump fast on you and you have something set up incorrectly, it's obviously going to be a crash or you're going to be really scared the first time you take off, you know. And the same goes for in the air if you're having issues with your governor's an issue or something just always keep hold at hand you know so you can just flip it off you know coast down and and check what the issue is before you run into more things you know yeah no that's that's huge advice and it's funny i knew what a hot start was but i it's one of those things you don't see happening to yourself until you just said that story and then totally getting distracted by it not starting makes perfect sense so that's a great tip thanks for sharing I, i've that. been in that same exact situation that scott was talking about <laughs> i think you're distracted have. by other tuning issues you're like oh i'm looking at the carb and doing this and then you forget that you had it still in idle one or two because the motor's off but it, it's not like an electric it's not going to spool up until you decide to turn it back on <laughs> yeah well right on well thanks again guys i know i kind of wrapped this up before but we dug into some more great stuff so i'm glad we did that so uh, thanks for coming on, Kenny. We really appreciate it. And uh, stay tuned sometime in the next month or so, probably for uh, our tuning tips and troubleshooting. Uh, thanks again, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. Yeah, thanks, Kenny. Yep. Oh, yeah, that Kenny guy. It's all Dude, smoke was- and mirrors. Dude, that was so much information. <laughs> I tell you what, between was, you, Scott, between you and Kenny, I wish I could just like fold you up and put you in my pocket for when I have my first build and then just whip ooh. you out like Jarvis and be like, yo. No, what that's do I do not here? a knife in my pocket. That's a Scott <laughs> no, Graham. That's a Graham. Oh, you totally beat me to that joke. I was right behind you. With it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was telling Kenny after we pressed stop on the, on recording that the reason I answered everything that he and Scott said with cool. Yeah. Okay. was cause I like, I was processing all that information because this is all new to me as well. You know, yeah. I'm not pretending to be a nitro noob. I am a total noob. So it's great <laughs> info. It takes me a minute to chew on it and kind of absorb it. So, uh, you know, I hope that'll help other people in the same situation as me kind of digging into their first helicopter. And, uh, it was awesome that Kenny could join us. It's great to have, you know, more perspectives. So yeah, Nick, you got to do a one take of your first day maiden like startup and all that just a one take no edits just so we can see the noob because you're going to probably be a little confused and frustrated you'll have all your shit ducks in a row 
you'd be like, okay, ready, go. And you'll just start to try. And maybe it'll just go off without a hitch because you got some good people teaching you here. But I don't know. It might make for a good video too. Yeah, I mean, we'll see because there's a lot of variables at play and how much I get done tomorrow and what the weather's like at Dragonfly or whatever. But that's the other reason to bring it because I could bring it to Dragonfly, finish it there, get it looked over by Sean and Scott and Tom Shin or Jay or any of the RCHO Nitro boys. Like, you know, there's going to be a world of smart people there. So it would be a great opportunity to get help, um, you know, get through my first maiden, be really set up for success and get some cool content out of it, too, because we would totally film that stuff all day long because it'll be funny. It would Um, be great. So. We'll see. Fingers crossed, but no promises. You know, if the weather's great and I'm having fun flying, I'm not going to go sit and build somewhere. Anybody else? I forget how we wrap this thing up. Remember, we supposed to say something like, we hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed making it or something? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should have I listened to a Dan episode to remind myself how we did this. Um, nah, not worth it. It's been, uh, it's been awesome <laughs> having Dan back, that's for sure. So it's, I feel really happy to be out of the habit of doing this. So that's a good thing. Yes. So, 43, we made it with just us three. We, we, we sort of learned some things. We'll have to hit rewind a bunch of times so that it actually soaks in and actually actually learn it. But, good yeah. cut. Right on. So, speaking of just the three of us, if you want to reach the other two of us, uh, you can hit up Dan at dan at rchnv3.com. Uh, if you want to tell Devin to pack his own damn laptop and microphone like I do, you can hit him at Devin at RCHNV3.com. We look forward to getting you back as well, Devin. Uh, if you want to hit me, you can catch me at Nick Wisdom at RCHNV3.com. And uh, Scott, what about you? Man, I thought you were saying if you want to see Devin packing his shorts. I'm like, <laughs> was he doing scary stuff? <laughs> oh, you can reach me. At Scott at RCHNV3.com or on Facebook as Scott Graham. And Rob, last but not least, how do we get hold of you? Nicolimio, Nicolimios. So, okay, if you want to get a hold of me, what you got to do is you have to go out onto the interwebs and procure yourself one of those Skyfish drones Dan talks about uh, periodically. And then go get a Jumbo Slinky and a Sharpie. Um, so oh, then right. write your question on the Sharpie, or I mean on the Slinky, while the Slinky is compressed. And then hang it off the bottom of your Skyfish drone and fly it over over to his house. And when the GPS gets you right over his house, just release the Slinky so it lands on his roof and then walks, you know, like a Slinky all the way down onto his porch. And uh, If he's outside, it might catch him off guard. So, you know, maybe wait till he's inside so it doesn't scare him too bad or anything. But... He'll find this obscure slinky, probably play with it with him and his cats for a little while, and then notice the message and then get a hold of me and, and tell me what your question is. But um, if you are afraid of slinkies, you had a bad experience when you were a child, um, or you don't want to like bend it and can't get it back all the way and don't even want to try, um, just email me at rob at rchnv3.com. Uh, hit me up on Facebook at nextgenrcfb. Uh, Instagram at NextGenRC or YouTube.com slash NextGenRC. All right. This has been episode 43, Nitro Part 3. Yeah, Part 3. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week. The Nitro Part 3. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all the gunk is at. 
Oh, no. If there's a gray ooze, there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's really valid. But yeah, it sounds weird. Uh, <laughs> if there's a gray slick discharge. Mm. Run. Run. Don't not touch her. <laughs> <laughs>